and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Thursday the 19th of March. We'll explain why in a minute. Joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers. This turn of events is unfortunate. We must accelerate our plans. News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. I don't remember anybody with a Yorkshire accent. In that. that was a bit Alan Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> it was very Alan I'm not sure Bennett. where that came from, to be honest. He should, he should do the, yeah, the opening intro. It was a time of strife. Oh, the taxation of outlying star systems was worrying me no end. <laughs> Games editor Mark Buttright. Will you defer your motion to allow a commission to explore the validity of your accusations? And audio review at Ed Selly. The negotiations were short. Just like Steve. So, welcome back to the Later Than Planned podcast. Uh, we are late because Steve's been on a jolly to uh, Barcelona uh, to go and see some, but not many, new TVs. And uh, we'll come on to that bit um, in a little bit. Nobody famous has died this week or escaped from a deadly crash yet. So, there is good luck this week and uh, that means you may win some prizes. Part-timer Hodge, um, why don't you go through what we could win? Uh, we've got a couple of Blu-rays. Uh, we've got one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Uh, and then, then we have three copies of The Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman, also on Blu-ray. We've still got the scan competition going, which is to win a Thermalake Core X9 stackable QPC case worth £140. Uh, so, yeah, two pairs of Soundmagic P30S, uh, which Ed really liked, I remember. Mm-hmm. And then, which this is a new competition on me, I this one's passed me by, is a Dali Cubic One stereo sound system, which... Um, Looks pretty nice, actually. They're very good, actually, yeah. They were in Bristol and they were sounding jolly smart. Yeah, and that's a colourful lifestyle system with with a great sound. Okay, there you go. That's it. The competitions for this week, make sure you go and enter them. And uh, hopefully the good luck streak this week uh, will will work for you and you'll win something. Let's move on to Steve's jolly. Uh, So you went to Barcelona to see some new TP Vision stroke Philips TVs. And uh, what did you see? Well, it was, it was a bit of a disappointment really, because it was their first half of the year uh, models, uh, and so all the really good stuff is not going to get released until uh, IFA in September. Um, so it was predominantly uh, new full full HD TVs and some ultra HD TVs as well. They were a bit vague on some of the details in terms of what's coming out in the UK. For example, the the, the highest ranked model is a seven thousand, and all I could get out of Philips was that there'd be one model being launched in the UK, but when and how much they couldn't confirm. Uh, also. The bad news was that because they're using Android TV on a lot of their new models, that's been delayed. Uh, and it looks like they won't be able to get them in the shops until June or July. Uh, I guess will also affect Sony because they are also using Android TV. And any other manufacturer that's using Android TV looks like it's been delayed by quite a bit. And we've got a good look at Android TV. And I've got to say, there was not a lot on it. It's really restricted by what Google will let them put on as apps. And at the moment, the, the, no, no BBC iPlayer. None of the catch-up apps, actually. Uh, Netflix was about the only app on it. Uh, it was very limited. Uh, and, and, you, and it's the only, so anyway you can add things like um, BBC iPlayer basically by sideloading it. Uh, it, it didn't seem... So, so Philips were actually leaving a lot of their own app store on their TVs as well in order that people can access some of the stuff that just isn't in Android TV yet. Well, that's good to know. They're, they're, you're going to have the adult content there, then. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> They certainly do cater to gentlemen's tastes on, on Philips television, which I always quite like. Very Dutch, aren't they? Very crazy, sexy Dutch. <laughs> so in terms of um, in terms of the actual uh, models, the ranges, there's the 4000 series and the 5000 series, both of which are going to be full HD. Um, we're going to get 4000 series. So there's some small screen sizes, 20 and 22 inch 4000 series being launched in April. Those don't have Android TV, obviously. Uh, a 5000. 
5210, uh, 24-inch, uh, April, May. There's the 4100 and the 4200, which are going to have larger screen sizes, um, 3248, uh, sorry, 3240 and 48 inches. Those are also going to be in April and May. The 5500, which is going to be 32-inch, 40-inch, 48 and 55-inch, that's got Android TV, so it's looking like July for that for release of that again full hd these hd lineup 1080 um what panels are they are they ips or the va looks like a mixture actually i think it's just which whichever manufacturer it, there was no, last year weren't they yeah it's a mixture of panels so and it's, and that will vary from range to range and screen size to screen size so really it's uh, a lottery then yeah, depending yeah. on what you're going to get okay yeah so obviously we'll tell you in the reviews or go have a look in a shop but um the good news is that on our UHD TVs, at least, uh, they're all 10-bit panels, genuine 10-bit panels, which is good. What else have we got? We've got 6,500. This is a weird one. It's coming in a 32-inch screen size. No smart TV on it, apparently. I think they were sort of t- aiming at people who didn't want smart TV, just wanted a TV. Old people. <laughs> yeah, 6510, which is the smart TV platform, 40-inch, uh, 50-inch, uh, and 55-inch. Again, that's not going to be out until July. There's a 6520. Uh, that's a Ultra HD. 65 inch uh, again July 65 50 um, Ultra HD 40 50 and 55 in July and 6400 Ultra HD 40 inch 50 inch 55 inch in July and there will be a 7000 series of some sort released in the UK I don't know what screen size I don't know which exact model and I don't know when it's going to come out or how much it's going to cost so <laughs> make of that what you will did you actually um, leave the airport <laughs> well, I, barely the hotel you could see the airport from the hotel so when i say i was in barcelona not really <laughs> so in terms of uh in terms of the uhd lineup i mean they had quite a few um models i mean whether i mean there were a lot of seven thousand models whether we're going to get any of them other than one apparently um limits it a bit but in terms of um what they, their capabilities obviously they, there was no hdr on these tvs it's just you know, uhd 10-bit panel um rec 709 color space um norm, you know and um the good stuff obviously is being saved till uh till EFA in september and we did get a, a glimpse you know we got a sort of a, a demo of or a first look at what's coming similar to what we saw in uh in january at ces film in fact it was identical to what well, we saw. There was, there, i think we were only part of a very small handful of people that got to see that anyway so um, yeah when we were at CES, uh, the top of the line TV looked great. But it's but yeah, nine thousand series, uh, yeah. the new version, whatever they end up calling it. That that one had their um, micro dimming uh, professional, which was a very effective backlights, um, local dimming. I've got to say, full array backlight. They're using the direct LEDs on a lot of their panels. Actually, they're much thicker this year. They're not so concerned about ultra thin. But uh, the 9000 looked, yeah, really impressive, really, really effective local dimming, I've got to say. That was the one with the fireworks going off. And, you know, you yep. weren't getting the haloing or blocking around around the quite fine um, sparkles and detail. Uh, color space-wise, it looks like they aren't going, well, they didn't seem to be going the route of um, quantum dot and wider color spaces. The, the, the demos that we were seeing, which were HDR stuff, was was uh, mastered at Rec. 709. So like the Gatsby stuff that we saw in, in um, January, Phil? They were saying what the, what they said was you know the thing about uh, um, wider color space in quantum dot is it adds a lot to the cost of the panel so it depends on whether we're prepared to add you know an extra two hundred three hundred dollars to the cost to use quantum dot which I guess explains one of the reasons why the current range of the new JS Samsons are much more expensive than last year because that's one of the factors that's making them more expensive in terms of HDR they were saying they're going to start with uh, an open source HDR not necessarily their own version. Um, it looks like open source HDR is going to be the first thing to hit the market. 
rather than which, which makes perfect sense. Well, yeah, which makes sense. So we don't you don't want to be messing around with with Dolby's Vision, Technicolor, BBC. I've got a well, version. You, well, I mean, you're just you're just talking about license fees, uh, yeah. and you were just talking about costs there. So, you yeah. know, if if they're not going to go Quantum Dot, then they're not going to pay license fees for Dolby stuff or or any other proprietary stuff. So go open source. So we'll have HDR as a possibility. They might be able to. Um, actually uh do a firmware update for some of the other the, the, the last year's 9000 series may be able to do because uh, what they were actually seeing as a demo was actually a 9000 from last year you know that been rigged a bit to, to do hdr so it's possible there might be some backward compatibility there also um it would be hdmi 2.0a which they think they can just uh, do with a firmware update rather than anything physical so that's for actually um, i take it that's just to read the that'll just be to read metadata then yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah exactly so there's, there's some interesting stuff coming. I think, in all fairness, the first, I mean, and also given that it's not coming out until July, that's not even in the first half of the year. <laughs> so it was a bit strange. This is our first half of the year launch, but you're not going to see any of these TVs until July. Okay. Well, great. I guess, I guess, you know. It's not their fault. It's, it's not, not their, really fault. their fault. They're at the mercy of Android. They, they were making a big thing about their build quality, um, which is, they think is much better this year. More, more, uh, more metal, not all metal, but large amounts of metal in the construction, um, some nice designs. So, I mean, basically, there were, there were some nicely designed very competent-looking full HD and ultra HD TVs, but the bottom line is the really good stuff's not going to come until uh, until September, October. I don't think Philips have ever had a problem with making a nice-looking TV. It's one thing they've always managed to do is make something that looks pretty mm. decent. And when I say that, I mean sort of mid-range upwards. I've, I've never really taken much notice of their, their mid-to-bottom, but mid-to-top. They've always been really nicely designed. I've got to say, the ones we saw at CES looked really really nice nice thin bezels on them and stuff although like you say a little bit thicker at the back but you accept that because you want the direct backlight there yeah um, exactly but i guess the main thing for philips and, and this was pointed out to me uh, quite obviously last year we did a couple of philips tv reviews one had uh, tens of thousands of views yet uh, the main thing in the comments and the main thing that, that i kept getting pms about and so on was where can i buy this tv and it's good something news that's, there good news there they, they told me at the um at, at the launch that they've uh, they got deals in place with all the major retailers for this year. So when they finally do get released, at least you'll be able to buy them. So that'll be a lot better. Yeah, because that was a weak point. You know, yeah, you, can, you can have nice products, but if you can't buy it anywhere, then um, yeah, there's only one way your business is going. Um, so I take it that this this really is a big push from TP Vision this year then because, um, like we've, we've hinted it there, I mean, they used to have a strong brand in the UK it kind of dipped a little bit. They had to save money. They had to move, sell off different divisions of the company and so on, which is why TP Vision are now the TV side of things. So is is this make or break, Steve, for them? It looks like TP Vision is certainly, um, you know, really putting some money behind uh, behind Philips, the Philips brand. Um, there's a big lineup of TVs. Um, they're covering, you know, there's a lot of ultra HD TVs in there. They're obviously, um, in terms of sales in the UK, uh, I think the 8,000, 9,000 series have done very well. Bigger screen sizes are proving very popular, so they're going to be looking at more big screen sizes. They've been trying to improve the sound quality, so one of the 7,000 models has a built-in soundbar. You know, it looks like they're really, you know, and, and looking at the stuff that we saw demos for back in January and I saw again this week, you know, they, they've got some a very strong lineup. I think. They're going to have a very strong flagship TV later in the year that's going to stand up against anything I've seen from anybody else for that matter. So, yeah, I think I think they're, they're, they're and also what TP Vision are trying to do is, where possible, build their own stuff too. So their own panels and their own, um, you know, uh, components, rather than being dependent on, um, on 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 suppliers. And I think after the experience of Android, <laughs> that's going to be you know something they'll probably want to do more of because yeah. you know if you control you, I mean, look at you know, let's be honest, if you look at who's going to get their TVs out first in the marketplace, it's going to be 
Samsung and LG because they're not relying on anyone for any other aspects of their of their platform. Um, whereas even Philip, even Panasonic have got, have got um, was it Firefox, isn't it, that they're using? Yeah. And Sony and, and and Philips are using Android TV. And if this causes delays for them, you know, it gives other manufacturers an, you know an advantage because they're already in the marketplace. Which is unfortunate for, for I me. Mean, unfortunate that um, given that they're really pushing this year in terms of having multi, multi, a lot of retailers, a lot of models, competitive pricing, and then finding out that they can't get them in the shops until July because of something that's outside of their control. That must be really galling. Yeah, yeah, I, that can't be good. Um, but I do highlight what you're saying, Steve, about the the top set. Um, it is definitely coming to the UK. Yeah. Oh yeah, it'll definitely come to the UK. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's definitely one for our audience to look out for, and uh, hopefully we get that in for review as soon as it's available. Uh, that was one of the TVs at CES that that was really impressive. Uh, mm. That the fireworks demonstration, like you say, no haloing or anything behind it that, that that would spoil it. It looked really nice, deep blacks on it, so really yeah. interesting to yeah, see that one. Good. Okay, um, let's move things on. Then that's Philip's lineup. Uh, if you want more details on the models and so on, then uh, Steve will have. Uh, his write up up there uh, by the time yeah, this podcast goes out. Um, move on very quickly with TVs. You've also looked at the GS9000 from Samsung. Um, this is the model down from the 9500, which uh, you spoke about in some detail. So, uh, what are the obvious differences and, and was it still a, a good TV? Well, it better be at the money. Yeah, yeah, it's 3999. I mean, the obvious difference is it doesn't use a direct um, direct LED backlight. It uses edge LED lighting. Um, so that the shape of the chassis is a little bit different too. It hasn't got that chamfered bezel and it hasn't got a built-in camera. Those are the only differences. Otherwise, it's identical in terms of its, you know, processing and capabilities. Uh, it uses the One Connect box as well. I've got to say, overall, you know, I would find it very difficult to justify spending another two grand on on the, on the JS9500 just to get the direct LED backlight because at least on the review sample I had, the backlight uniformity was excellent. I mean, now I admit that is a bit of a lottery when it comes to edge LED TVs. I mean, you can get good backlights, you can get bad backlights, and often it comes down to just luck. But certainly the one that I had, very good backlight. The local dimming worked extremely well, as it always does on Samsung's TVs, just as effective as it is on the um, on the JS9500. And so when you're sat, it didn't have a very wide viewing angle, nor did the JS9500 because these VA panels, but if you're sat in the sweet spot, it looks really, really good. Uh, accuracy was almost as good as the JS9500 out of the box. Again, this is a pre-production sample, so we'll take a pinch of salt until we see some retail models. But um, you know, it was accurate. You get it super accurate with um, with the uh, calibration controls if you wanted to. Although, to frankly, the out of the box was, was very good. Uh, the processing is superb. It looked great. With I had some HDR um, uh, HDR content to watch on it, which looked really spectacular in the home. Um, bit of Exodus, bit of Life of Pi. Uh, I had your 4K um, Connect Canada video, Phil, which looked absolutely stellar on it. I've got to say. Um, but even with normal, you know, full HD TV, it looked um, looks superb. It was a really strong TV, and and you know, a bit more of a realistic price point. It's still not not cheap, but three nine 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 for a sixty five inch ultra HD TV with um, you know a degree of future proofing. I think is looking at more, far more attractive than the JS nine five, which I think is more of a technological statement and a sort of flagship model. But I don't think they're expecting to sell that many of them, to be perfectly honest. Um, but this one, I think, will will be strong. I mean, and given that it's you know it's going to be in the marketplace this week, next week, um, that's going to give them a definite advantage. Yeah, quick out the gates this year, well ahead of LG and Panasonic, uh, who are normally round about this time of year as well. So um, and Sony and Sony yeah. again also are going to be well behind the curve because of Android TV. So you know, it's looking. I mean, looking good for Samsung at the moment. If they've got their models in the shops this week, and I think they are shipping them this week. Then that's that's giving them a serious yeah, edge. In terms still of shed loads of money for uh, an LCD TV, though. This is this it's is not what, cheap. No, this is what I kind of I kind of get my head around this, but never mind. Um, let's move on 
away from TVs for a, for a little bit. Although, is it away from TVs? Because it's one way that you could turn your TV into a smart TV mark, and that's uh, the review that went up while we're recording this podcast. It's a hands-free micro PC, so tell us all about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's basically an HDMI dongle. Um, you stick it into your display. It runs a desktop version of Windows 8.1. So you can do anything you can do on, on your computer, more or less. I mean, it's... Um, it's it's quite a thing. I used to control it like um, a air mouse, so we were kind of more looking at it as a media device rather than you know you could use it as a remote desktop, uh, you know, perfectly well if you were working away from the office. It it works well as that. Um, looking at it as a media um, device, it has its limitations. I mean, a lot of those is Windows eight point one bound because there's not that many native apps. Um, you know, you get you get things like Netflix and 1080p, but then a lot of the other stuff's quite flaky. There's not even an iPod, proper iPlayer app yet, other than the download. It was a difficult. It's a difficult one to. It's a difficult one to categorise because it it does so much. I mean, if you if you just want a simple email, web browser, Windows device, you stick in your telly, then then it's great. It's also probably quite something quite good to take on your travels. Um, but as a media PC, it kind of it kind of had flaky Wi-Fi. The Bluetooth transmitter wasn't very good. It doesn't do five gigahertz Wi-Fi either, which is a bit of a bugger um, for HD streaming. You know, it's it's a decent little thing. Um, but if I was if you're looking for a media box, I would kind of be looking more towards the likes of the Fire TV or Roku or or one of these Android boxes I've got, which I think are a bit more suited to the media side of things. So it's it's a kind of uh, finger in lots of pies, but not very yeah, it's kind of, single one it, thing. Is it a Windows Mobile? You know, is it like a beefed up Windows Mobile experience? Well, yes, it is. Is it a, a, a netbook replacement? Well, it could be. Could you use it as a media PC? Yeah, you could, but you could do better for all three. So it's kind of it, it's good, but it's not something I, I don't think I could find uh, myself using. You know that frequently so I, I guess you know rather than a desktop pc it's it's kind of you know a good analogy would be um alan partridge instead of jeremy clarkson on top gear yeah that might be a bit cruel uh, but <laughs> yeah but yeah something like that it's not it's not obviously that powerful i mean it's it's, it's reasonable you could, it's, it's reasonable it runs you know it runs a browser reasonably well and it and it, it can play 1080p video and, and you know not a problem and it's 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 okay it's okay but it, it's just it just falls between too many stools for me. Was Alan Partridge supposed to be an example of someone better or worse? <laughs> That's for you to decide. Actually, um, yeah, he's a dumb side better than Glass. Anyway, the, the only thing is, uh, the only reason that popped in my head is it's just popped up on TweetDeck. Um, and it's actually Manny that retweeted it, which was uh, 15,000 people have demanded that Alan Partridge replaces Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, would be God. good. I'm going to join in with that. <laughs> Uh, right, so let's move on. Uh, audio-wise, Ed, your first turntable review went out. You've also looked at some uh, headphones this week. Um, tell us about the headphones. Well, that was uh, a new model from Audio-Technica, uh, who, uh, like many Japanese companies, have got a uh, snappy and memorable naming uh, down to a fine art. This was, uh, you know what, I'm actually going to read it and make sure I get it absolutely right. The ATH-MSR7. Um, which obviously rolls off the tongue perfectly, but don't let the boring name get you down. Uh, the headphones themselves, £200. Uh, another example of this sort of hybrid headphone category where you've got one eye on use on the move and one eye on use on the home. Uh, I think Audio Technica have come down slightly in favour of use at home, but the result is a stupendously comfortable pair of headphones. Um, very, very comfortable, easy to wear for long periods of time. 
and uh, I thought they sounded pretty good. It's interesting. There's, I, I, I'm very remiss of me. There's a, a, a comment on the reviews uh, from uh, someone that demoed them saying they found them a bit sibilant. Now, I think that's interesting because out of the box, the pair that arrived were absolutely brand spanking new. That would be in keeping with my immediate impressions first time I literally just checked them to see if they were working. I just described that to being them being absolutely brand new. Uh, with all new headphones when i received them for review they are connected to my long-suffering iphone 4 and just left upstairs on loop uh for between 24 to 48 hours depending on the amount of time that's available having done that and got some hours on them i i didn't find that to be a problem but i would suggest that if you are looking looking to to demo them see if you can actually get a listen to a pair which you've got got a couple of hours on and i appreciate that's not the easiest thing in the world to do with headphones but it really does make a difference but yeah 200 pounds uh and if you're looking for a pair of home headphones that you can take out and about on the move without looking like a complete idiot really very very good indeed oh just just as a heads up we've got um obviously you've done your uh xtz review which i thoroughly enjoyed reading Thank you very much. Um, and it's interesting. I've got, uh, you know, there's the, some sort of there's considerable enthusiasm for that. If you are a bit concerned about the price of the XTZ, and some of the comments suggested that it was quite pricey, please um, keep an open mind to the one that I've got coming <laughs> a little bit later on this month, uh, is all I can say. Um, yeah. I've had a bit of a, an, a BCAD moment this, this month with, uh, with a 5.1 pack, and I, I hope to try and get my thoughts across as to why that is, but I'm not going to cool. pretend that it's a, a bargain basement experience either. Yeah. Uh, just to add to the, the XTZ as well, I, I have the what some people would describe as the next step up from there, different manufacturer but the same type of speaker uh, and one that's been around for about 15 odd years and is in a mark ii guise so hopefully we'll get that in uh, hopefully next week or the week after for review um, which should be quite interesting uh, to put them up against the xtz and then obviously the package that you have ed which is uh, considerably more expensive but I, I, I remember reading on twitter that uh, you're saying that it's the best subwoofer you've ever heard yes i'm as we know i have some reservations about subwoofers um but this is uh, an, an exercise in technical obsession, and the result is extremely expensive. It's a three thousand pound subwoofer. That's you know that's the, there's no getting around that. But it is unquestionably the finest example of a subwoofer I have ever used in my in my room, and I believe heard full stop. It is utterly utterly astonishing okay uh so also coming up for review uh is the x3100 which i'm working on at the moment which is denon's entry level avr got to say mega impressed with that and and it's been driving um these speakers as well the xtz's which are a four ohm nominal load which you know for a, an entry level avr is is maybe not the not easiest um and it's managed it managed to drive them without any issues whatsoever um really fantastic little box uh, writing that up at the minute steve you've got the 7200 which is a yes, top of the range the x7200 which i promise i'll get finished because i think someone in the last podcast thread said when you're going to do the review uh that's coming um coming next week um and um really really good receiver um the only <laughs> the only flying ointment really is is just the impending and i've got to say we're already on the 18th of march 
DTSX announcement, but um, yeah, I think that's a bit of a red herring. To be yeah, honest, yeah, so do I. I mean, forget <laughs> DTSX. To be honest, right now, all I can say is with with uh, normal seven point one channel stuff or Atmos uh, or Oro as well, it sounds absolutely super. And my really, argu- really my argument receiver. at the moment, Steve, is do you really need it? <laughs> it's funny. I I watched Fury for the first time at the weekend, uh, and that disc is only a five channel mix, and admittedly listen to it on a five five and a half grand's worth of speakers and two grand's worth of av amplifier you'd expect it to be reasonably good but it i just didn't feel at any stage god i really feel i need headroom or i, I need additional surround yeah. it just worked and it was extremely effective and extremely convincing well going back to uh, non-atmos stuff then i will be getting the arcam avr 750 plus their udp 411 blu-ray sacd media player um, in for review uh, at the beginning of april so Bit of old school uh, AVR action. AV forums for the working man. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I need to before before we get accused of being pointless elitist. Um, the other speaker package that I am reviewing this month, and I am writing uh, up uh, as Hang we speak. on, hang on, Ed. There's only you saying that we're elitist here. Well, I'm just just guarding <laughs> against me me being accused of it. Y- you are it. elitist. Yeah, I am elitist. <laughs> I make no bones about it. But I'm also doing Acoustic Energy's entry level pack uh, speaker package, which. Um, is a, a is a rather less hair raising, one thousand three hundred pounds, and it's extremely good. And uh, I hope to make an interesting review of that, which will also be out this month. Okay, so there so you go. Yeah. That's that's what's coming up uh, for the rest of this month into April as well. Oh, it's the middle of the month already. Jesus, just flying away. Right, we're coming back in a second with some interesting Nintendo news in games news. Surely, as far as bot rights concerned, all Nintendo. Oh, it'll be orgasmic for. Mr. <laughs> I, I I gave up time actually writing about it to do this podcast. There should be something <laughs> up on the site by the time this podcast goes up. Good, right? So that's Nintendo. Uh, they made the announcement um, that they're going to do mobile games. Everybody went, "Ooh, does that mean that there's no more consoles?" And then they've let slip that there is a new console in development, and the code name is NX. Yes, um, basically they've they've relented for for a long time. Nintendo have shied away from lots of calls from analysts who said they would make absolute you know trillions by putting their IPs on mobiles. Um, I think quite rightly they've they've been a little bit wary of doing that simply because mobile gaming has kind of been associated with the the freemium model with with free games that require little in-app purchases and things like that and of questionable quality that people will happily pay uh, play simply because they're free initially um then there's also the question about whether their games could ever properly translate to touch devices things like that um anyway they've finally relented um they're going into something of a, an alliance with the japanese company dna um, which involves something of a, a stock swap and buying. And, yeah, basically Nintendo will be the ones uh, developing the games. And it sounds very much like uh, there'll also be um, a replacement for the Club Nintendo service. So hopefully we might see something like um, an accounts-based system across all platforms. Uh, but Nintendo were, were wary about, you know, people obviously taking this as some kind of a sign that they'd, uh, conceded somehow that that you know the Wii U's tank, so we're we're moving out of hardware. It's harder to continue making money through that uh, revenue stream and things like the 
handheld consoles are also those sales aren't as healthy as they once were but yep they've nixed that by saying uh, the nx they're currently developing a dedicated game platform with a brand new concept um they're saying there'll, there'll be more information next year it it sounds like it could be something genuinely exciting i think it's one of those cases where as with most things nintendo you just have absolutely no idea you know, it, it could be the successor to the Wii U. Potentially, I think a lot of people would would assume that it might be. Uh, by the same token, the fact that they're they're teaming up and they're they're looking at mobile games and they're looking at potentially some kind of a, a maybe an account system working across all um, platforms. Maybe it'll be some kind of in between hybrid smart device, something that you might be able to say connect up to your TV and also be able to play games. You know, it might be touch. It might um, have traditional buttons. Um, it it really could be anything. I mean, last time Nintendo seemed to be in in something of a sticky situation, and they had to you know find some way of reassuring people that they knew what they were doing. They came up with the idea of of amiibos, of little figures that you put on your controllers, uh, a vague health initiative, and talked about non wearable technology, um, which obviously is just technology. Uh, so, so you have absolutely no idea what they're going to be doing, but yeah, everyone is suitably excited. I think it should be a smartphone in the shape of the original Game Boy. Oh, I would, I would, I would genuinely love that. I mean, it is, it is interesting. It is interesting that they haven't said what kind of hardware it's going to be. You know, they haven't said it's going to be a, a console using the TV or it's going to be a, a handheld. They just haven't said anything. No, and, and it is it is almost a little bit of a, a kind of a, it's a bit of a cop out to say, you know, we're currently developing you know new hardware because it, it's naturally assumed that with any company of that size you're always developing something, you know. At no point do they sit and say, well, let's leave it a few years and then we'll come back to it. You know, they're always working on, on the next gaming platform. This was just basically a way of saying look, we're not going to be moving out of traditional gaming. You know, there will be something that is a dedicated gaming device. So to say to people, you know, don't worry, we're not just simply almost, you know, running down the hardware section and starting to kind of, you know, transpose all of our IP onto the mobile platform where we might be able to make even more money. Um, it, it was a way of kind of reassuring the, the traditional fan base that they're, they're very much committed to it. And, and if they can manage to kind of, find them drag themselves into you know into the 21st century and have a proper online accounts based system where you know you can tie um content that you buy across several different devices yeah that would be absolutely huge for them and it'll be 4k oh, oh well steady on i mean we're only just in the stage of hd so <laughs> you know we're not quite at that stage yet um i i, I mean the, you know with the the we use gamepad they're still using um uh, resistive screen rather than capacitive um, they still don't even have a, an ethernet port on the back of it so you know there is there are several kind of slight oversights with any piece of nintendo hardware these days kind of little quirks but yeah i, I think definitely if they could find some kind of hybrid device that could be full hd for for a portable gaming system and you could play it on your tv in the way that a lot of people thought that the gamepad would be used originally that idea that you could just kind of stop playing in one room and then take the gamepad to another room, well, the the kind of radius of what you know how far that thing can actually communicate with the Wii U isn't that far. You know, it might work in in kind of Japanese homes, but you know, you move around from one room to another where you've got solid concrete walls, and all of a sudden you lose connection. So it would be great if they could find some way of tying the the kind of 
TV-based traditional gaming side of things that they've always excelled at, also with their with their portable gaming. And I'm suitably excited. You sound it. <laughs> Uh, it says here, Mark, that we've to uh, talk about the upcoming uh, games podcast, but that's three or four weeks away. We've just had one uh, that went out at the weekend, so maybe we'll talk about that one. Yeah, I, I think that's Steve suffering from a bit of jet lag there. Um, yeah, game. What, between Spain and Hour Ahead? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he collapsed on his copy earlier. And, and, and Bath, which I suppose is in the, in the 1940s. Yeah, that's a fair old lag. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we chatted about um, The Order 1886. That's probably, you know, the big release um, in recent times in, for console gamers. Um, a bit about VR, what we hope to see, what would really sell that experience for us. Obviously, that's because um, Steam have, have unveiled details of their headset. Um, Leon is, is suitably excited about Rock Band 4 being announced. And we also got onto the topic, topic of, um, of genitalia and state of decay. And I'll just leave it at that. Probably best. Okay, so is that games news? That is games news. So we uh, wrap up the podcast, as always, with movie news. And uh, I guess the big story is the standalone film, Star Wars standalone film, is going to be called Rogue One. This was really quite tantalising news. It has uh, piqued my interest. Uh, yet there's very little in the way of detail about this. It's you that put this uh, new story up, Steve, so why don't you fill in the blanks for us? Yeah, it basically uh, it looks like what Lucasfilm slash Disney are doing is kind of following a similar sort of plan that they've been using with Disney slash Marvel, which is uh, releasing sort of key films and then sort of separate standalone films uh, connected to the key films each year. So, for example, we've got obviously coming out in December of this year, Episode 7, uh, The Force Awakens, Woo. directed by J.J. Abrams. And then December next year, they're going to release this standalone Star Wars movie. So we'll be part of the Star Wars universe. Uh, no one's really sure exactly what it's going to involve yet. But the fact it's called Rogue One suggests it might involve X-Wings because obviously Rogue Squadron mm. was, well, actually, there was a game, wasn't there? Rogue Squadron. Yeah, it was fantastic. On the game. GameCube. Or, yeah. or it's I a love misspelling that. and it's about a makeup department in a galaxy a uh, long, long time ago and far, far away. Well, Rouge, Rouge One. one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's being written by Chris Weitz, who um, did, among other things, um, did an American Pie and uh, he did About a Boy and he did uh, The Golden Compass. Good writer. And it's being directed by Gareth Edwards, who directed uh, Monsters and Godzilla. So that's certainly an interesting uh, creative team there. Um, the only cast member confirmed so far is Felicity Jones, who recently got nominated for an Oscar for her part as Stephen Hawking's wife in A Theory of Everything. Uh, again, interesting, having a female lead. That, that's, that's an interesting term. I guess the thing is, Steve, what we really want to know is how far apart these films are going to be uh, narratively. So, uh, uh, you know, is Rogue One going to feed into episodes 7 and 8 and 9 or are these completely standalone in a completely different part of the universe, um, in a different time zone? You know, this is, this is what we need to, I think, try and work out. And, and yeah, it might be about X-Wings. So is it going to be around about the time of episode 4? Uh, when they're attacking the Death Star, or is it going to be something completely different? There's, the rumour has been that it might be set before episode four, so in that gap between three and four, because what uh, Disney slash Lucasfilm are doing is putting out an awful lot of content this year, um, things like uh, books and mag you know, comic, comic books, actual no novels, to fill in the gaps between episode six and episode seven. Um, so there's some kind of continuity in terms of the uh, narrative. 
But whether this is going to be involved in, in, in any way with seven and eight and nine, or whether it's going to be a completely different time period, I mean, I, I guess you've got the freedom. They've got the freedom to do whatever they want now. They've got this whole universe to play in, and why not do interesting stuff? Maybe do things a bit darker, a bit more, you know, a bit more adult, perhaps. I would pay to see the genocide of Jar Jar Binks' species. <laughs> I mean, literally the most gut-wrenching, gore-laden brutality. You know, basically, if you like. All, all of the worst tenets of humanity used to just systematically exterminate them. That would be fabulous. Okay, I think a lot of people would pay quite good money. I, to I would see pay that. very good money to see that, yeah. <laughs> I think the other exciting news was that um, and on top of announcing, because obviously this was announced because it was Disney's um, shareholders meeting, that's why they were announcing all this stuff, and this is one of their main, you know, main tra- profit drivers along with Marvel going forward. I mean, this year, Disney are win-win, aren't they? The two most successful films this year are obviously going to be The Avengers and Star Wars, and they're both Disney movies, so they couldn't give a monkeys this year. They're going to coin it in. Um, but what's interesting is they also announced that Ryan Johnson, who you've been rumoured to be going to be writing and directing episode eight, is writing and directing episode eight and it's coming out on the 26th of may uh 2017 so it'll be well, bar day one day out exactly 40 years after the release of star wars on 25th of may 1977 um so we've only got six months to wait after rogue one for the next star wars episode which is quite exciting am i the only one who would rather see one come out and see how it does and see them kind of almost address any problems that people might have with that one because I've got this horrible no, feeling, no, because, you know, when you've got... No, because I, I, I'm talking for myself, I'm in my 40s now, so I, I want to see them all. <laughs> yeah, get on with it. Get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it feels a little bit like kind of everything is tied in together, and so it's almost like if one goes down, they'll all go down. Yeah, well, yeah, that was kind of what I was trying to hint at when with the standalone films. I think they need to be completely separate from episodes 7, 8, and 9. They need to be proper standalone films, looking at some other part of the universe, I think. Yeah, that, Do you think they'll be standalone in terms of in terms of their style, though, as well? That's what I'm kind of saying. I, You would assume that they've yeah, kind of agreed upon some kind of thread of general style. That see, I, I, th- I think it would just work, because all you need to do is look at the, the animated series and how great that was, because it was in fresh hands. It was in hands of people who understood the universe, but could add something different to it and, and add something new and add a bit of fun back into it. And I think that's why Clone Wars was so good um, because it was given to people who understood the universe but were not constrained in any way. And I think that, that has to happen with not just 7, 8, 9, but it has to happen with the standalone films as well. So I'm completely for a completely different way of doing it if it's good. It's not a particularly yeah. risky caveat if it's good. If it's good, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you like to take risks but it has to be good. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from. I, I'd I just do, like to—I'd just like them to see them do something a little bit different because there's so much in the universe that they could work with and, and that, that they could use. And like I say, Clone Wars was for an animated series absolutely annihilated the prequels. Wait, it was in terms fun, of enjoyability. It? Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> yeah, if, if the prequels had been half as good as Clone Wars, they, they wouldn't have been as bad as. They Still, it's going to make, uh, even when they finished 7, 8, and 9, you know, so what we're talking about in 2019, so in four years, in four years we'll have nine films to watch, but you've still got to get through 1, 2, and 3, haven't you, before you get to anything half decent, which is going to make uh, that and, marathon uh, particularly painful. And, unless, you know, you know, the fans all club together and we pay Disney to destroy the prequels, and we all... Just pretend that they never happened, and somebody gets to make them again. I still well, look, we don't need I to. Still, we don't need to destroy the, the, the nature of Hollywood making everything again anyway. Means that someone's going to have a, if they're if these films are successful, someone's going to have another stab at it. 
Yep. It's yep. just the way of things. Like a stab at Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't I, know if I've you were offline whilst we were saying it, Mark. We wanted to see a film of... Genocide. The, the genocide of Jar Jar Binks' <laughs> race. genocide. <laughs> That's actually a great title for it as well. Good name, good name for a death metal band as well. Yeah, I was just thinking death metal band. <laughs> no, I think if, if, if Disney just put out Star Wars, the original film, as was in 77, I'd be happy with that, frankly. That'll do me. Just that one film, then the rest of it will go. It's time, I've, got to let go. I've got to let go of this balloon now. <laughs> it's been too long. It's time to grow up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was always told if you haven't grown up by the time you're 40, you don't have to. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, and I'm and I'm sticking to that. Living the dream. <laughs> sure am, Ed. Sure am. Right. Anybody else got anything to say about Star Wars? We haven't had anything from Hodge. Hodge. I like the name Rogue One. That's a good name. <laughs> that was as 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 excited. <laughs> about it. It's just been too long ago for me. All this. I mean, I will watch. Don't get me wrong. And obviously, all those prequels put me off. But yeah, I, I just failed to get excited about it. I'll wait for the reviews and see how it is. I mean, I, do, I like that name, Rogue One. You got two daughters, but they're about the age where they, they would be getting into Star Wars, would they not? They would do if they were boys. Yeah, <laughs> they don't like any. They don't. It's immediately. Dis- they've heard of Star Wars. They're well aware of it. They've all the kids, all the boys in the class have watched it, but right. they have no interest in watching it. Okay. All right. So I've not been blessed with a tomboy, unfortunately. I watch it on my own. You will watch this and you will enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. No, I did try that. I did try and convince my eldest one she would like it, the original Star Wars, but she's just not having it. I'll tie it, I'll tie it through a chair and make her watch it, see how, see how it goes I, down. I think that's probably frowned upon. At least I wouldn't miss it on a podcast. If you tie it to a chair and make her watch it, <laughs> that could be classed as cruel and unusual punishment. They'll <laughs> 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 have child services in before you can say, you know. Yeah, yeah, but you know, Ed's trying to you know divert this, but we all know that his lad's going to grow up as a vinyl nut. He'd be a right hipster, wouldn't he? Well, his, um, his uh, I don't know if you, I, I posted a photo on Facebook, just the, the, the moment my lounge is just ridiculous. There's so much stuff in there. And um, the, the people immediately picked up on was uh, his uh, Fisher-Price plastic turntable, um, <laughs> of which he is a big fan, it must be said. Um, I, I'm not going to force him. Uh, as I say, he's one of the very few children born in 2013 that is going to have the opportunity to destroy a record player, um, which is obviously going to be something I have to be ever extra vigilant for. But yeah, I'm not. You know, if he if he likes it, he likes it. If he if he doesn't, he doesn't. You know, I'll just mock him. You'll It'll be fine. Disown him. Ah, oh, it's a bit harsh. Yeah, it's it, it it it's one of those things. It, it's funny because obviously, you know, my wife is a singing piano teacher. He's either going to grow up being a massive fan of music. Or he's just going to hate every second of it because it's all he ever deals with, and uh, I, you know, I will have to see see how it works out either way. So I didn't even know they made a Fisher Price record player. It was a classic. Ah, well, you see, it's contentious. It, it's a classic. Um, it's been around for years and years, and years. Back to the point where record players were, you know, the de facto means of playing. Should it. We, should we expect a review? Well, now you see the original one was a genuine. It worked like a record player. It had a stylus and it picked up information on the plastic discs. I remember that. And there's a new these new ones. There's been an out an outcry because they don't do that. They just read an RFID tag on the disc and then an outcry. (laughs) Really? Go on. Go on Amazon. Petition.org. Go on Amazon.co.uk, have a look at the Fisher-Price record player and have a look at the comments underneath it. The amount of anger over a plastic record player is is really quite something. Is it all you? No! I think it's two shits. <laughs> I have a real record player. <laughs> but no, he really likes it. 
that's good. I'm pleased. He, he likes it, and each time he puts it on, you sneer at him. <laughs> that's not a proper that's one. Not a cool player. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the moment, Mark, anything, anything that prevents him from his life goal of destroying something actually in the AV rack is is to be celebrated. As I say, we've got the got you know these this not inconsequentially expensive five point one system at the moment, and the, the the number of times he's come close to to wounding the centre speaker has been uh, a little bit concerning. So I, I, yeah, I, I, any, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> for any manufacturers listening, please send samples to Ed don't send me anything which doesn't have a grill at the moment. Let's leave it at that. It arrived broken. <laughs> and and <laughs> smeared in chocolate. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, as I said, with the, whether it's Star Wars or Avengers, Disney couldn't give a monkey's good day because they still win-win. Well, no, this is very true. It's, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's, it, it's of no concern to them. But um, I, I don't think Star Wars or this one, uh, whatever... The Force Awakens or Rogue One is going to trouble uh, Age of Ultron hmm. in, in, in bold numbers terms. Okay, let's move on. Um, let's go to movie collecting. Uh, we've all been at some point or other movie collectors uh, nowadays in a world of streaming, in a world of uh, the PBFC not being as strict as they used to be in terms of cutting films and uh, films being completely different from region to region. Is there any point now, and I know there's there's only one of us here that still imports Blu-rays, and that's Steve. Steve, is I anyone who still buys Blu-rays, period. Is, but is oh, I any, bought one the other day. Is there any point in importing Blu-rays anymore? Because I think a lot of the reasons of why we used to import, certainly DVDs, uh, was different soundtracks. So you used, to, you used to have DTS in one region and it would only be available in, say, Japan or something like that. Or um, you would have cut versions, uncut versions, versions that had been banned. and all. That all seems to have disappeared now. Um, so is there still a reason for importing? Yeah, I think generally that's true. I mean, there are exceptions, uh, and there are sometimes discs that are only available in other countries that that you know have a, a fuller, a more complete version of the film, or a longer cut, or a director's cut. I mean, that does still happen from on occasion, uh, particularly for some of the more obscure titles. But we're certainly with the with the main releases nowadays. In fact, quite often, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you put the Blu-ray on, it comes up with the FBI warning, and you think this is just the US disc. I mean, they've yep. literally just sold the US disc into the UK because they don't have to change anything for us. So as long as the BBFC and the BBFC don't cut anymore, basically they will say if you if you don't cut, you get an 18 or whatever or a 15. But if you cut this and this, and you can get a 12A or a 15 or whatever certificate. And usually, it's not the BBFC that's demanding this; it's the um, distributors who want obviously a lower rating to get more people into cinema and make more money. Um, so sometimes there are occasions when there are minor cuts um, done by the contributor to get a lower rating rather than BBFC demanding it. And, and therefore you might want to, like I think, for example, The Hunger Games as an example, that the US disc is slightly more violent and there's some sound effects and things that were removed from the UK version to get a, a lower rating, to get a 12A. So that might be one reason why you do it. But in general, you're right, most discs come out around about the same time um, sometimes even before in the UK. I, think, I noticed Marvel have a habit now of la- launching their films uh, in the UK and Europe before they even open in the States. So sometimes you get stuff coming out sooner, in fact. And it's an identical disc and it's the same contents and same extras and it's the same cut. So, yes, it's absolutely true. I did notice this morning when I was thinking about it that, uh, t- to my surprise, The Hobbit, which comes out uh, on Tuesday in the States, doesn't come out in the UK until 20th of April. So that's actually um, nearly a month's difference, which is surprising, considering they opened on the same day um, at the cinema. Um, quite why that is, I don't know. But so that would be an example of somebody maybe who couldn't wait a month can uh, yeah, buy it. I mean, in that, the that, that could just come down to replications. You know, that Poss- it, possibly, it could be that possibly. they can replicate for the US and the UK has to wait a month. Mm. 
certainly when I used to collect laser discs and, and I used to buy laser discs and I used to pay a fortune for the new laser discs, it was usually six months ahead of the UK and then, and in the vast majority of the cases um, you could buy the laser disc of a movie which hadn't even had its cinema release. I'm thinking of Twister. I had Twister before it was even yeah, at I the cinema in the lot. UK. Still um, happens occasionally. Smaller films that are distributed, you know, from region to region rather than major studio stuff. Like I watched John Wick on Blu-ray on US Blu-ray um, about three weeks ago. It doesn't even open in the UK till uh, sometime in, in middle of July, April. So you can still do that on occasion and see films long before they open in the UK. But that is rarer and rarer now. Nowadays, back in the good, bad old days of you know prints, basically of, of, of thirty-five millimeter prints. You know, they were, it cost money to make a print, so they would tend to run them in the states, and then they come over to the UK. Um, so there was a definite six month. I mean, famously, I mean, we often forget this, but Star Wars opened on the twenty fifth of May, seventy eight. Yeah, it didn't open in the it didn't premiere in the UK till Boxing Day, and didn't actually start going on UK release outside London until February. Most people didn't see it till March nineteen seventy eight. So that's nearly a year later, which people I think have forgotten uh, now, but. That's largely by, gone by the way now because obviously digital um, delivery, there's no, there's no problem with um, creating prints. So that, that's not so much of an issue. I mean, basically the reason that I tend to have a, de- a habit of buying US discs is because I just really hate the UK packaging. <laughs> it's something as silly as that. No, you see this, uh, this BBFC just... logos, you know, and the 15 certificate and stuff on the side of the... I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but that's why I do it. I think the US discs are better packaged than the UK ones. So you're paying six quid, seven quid more for the packaging. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. yeah. You sit there and watch the packaging. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, I know it's stupid, but I'm not the only one who does that. I know well, I'm not the only well, one. Well, no, there's so a whole. It doesn't mean it's not stupid. It's because you're not the only one. Yeah. I don't understand the appeal of steelbooks, but they're incredibly. But you see, this is what I was going to come on to. There's a whole section of the forums. I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. I understand the whole collecting thing. Um, Steve understands the whole OCD thing, don't you, Steve? A bit more blast proof, I guess. In the event of a an attack on your house. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of any other good reason. But the thing is, you're going to put them in sideways anyway, so you're not even going to see them. You're going to have to take them off the shelf to have a look at them. I don't understand it. I, I really don't. DVD and Blu-ray packaging, with the exception of the lovely tin that Band of Brothers came in, uh, I've never had a remote interest in any piece of uh, no, no, DVD no. or Blu-ray packaging. The, the at big all. thing was always LD, it, always Laserdisc. It was always the gatefold open. Well, up. I, I've got vinyl for that, I mean, yeah. and and there are occasions where even when the media is the same, it's worth seeking out a certain version or release simply because it just comes in an altogether cooler piece of packaging. But that there are sort of some tangible differences to that and i suppose the key difference is that you'll normally get your money back if you suddenly got bored of it and decided to sell but for films no i mean no, i have no surviving dvd boxes they're all just in gigantic wallets I mean, these days talk about some absolute stinkers of films that i would pay an absolute fortune for to get them from japan uh, i'm thinking armageddon and it didn't even come I in. I like a, Armageddon, <laughs> but it didn't even come in a proper DVD case. It came in a CD case from Japan. The only reason you paid an absolute fortune for that was because of the DTS soundtrack. <laughs> you know, we used to do silly things like that, like Jurassic Park as well. I think it was only available in the states as a DTS release. And then the of course, disc. was it a laser disc? Sorry, yeah, the laser well, disc. I, I got the, that was one yeah. of the first DTS lasers. That's right. Yeah, not the first DTS yeah. lasers. And I, I can remember, <laughs> I saved up for two months. To buy that, this is kind of a good reason. Without you know, you're going to get more enjoyment out of it rather than just the you know packaging. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, this is where it gets complicated, isn't it? Do do you find the media then more satisfying because it came in a nice package? I very rarely do. Um, as I say, there are one or two exceptions I make for vinyl when there is a clear and tangible benefit to a different piece of packaging. But otherwise, no, it's it's the the, the actual content is what's important. And if the content yeah. is crap, there is no way you're going to persuade me to buy it. See, when, when I got my Star Wars Definitive Collection box set from the States, I think I paid £300 for it. £250, £300 £250 for it. £250. Um, it had, was it 15 discs or... 15, yeah, it was, it was CAV all the way, wasn't it? Yeah. So, it so there was, was loads of discs. Of there was a, a hardback book, George Lucas book yeah. thing. Um, I loved opening that up and the smell that you get from it. And stuff. But I was absolutely petrified taking the discs <laughs> and say, in case I scratched them or whatever. So I very rarely played those discs, even though I'd spent And the initial all that release money. of that, there was a mistake on the uh, Empire Strikes Back. There was a brief scene missing, wasn't there, on the start of one of the discs. So they had to... Uh, you, you, people were panicking which which version they had. Yeah, but some of those Disney ones are gorgeous, beautiful, um, big you know big box sets with the movie and loads of extras, and um, they'd be prints and books. Yeah, and all constantly. I mean one, one they one were f- gorgeous. Two of my favourites: Toy Story box set. Yeah, which again was one of the original first DTS discs, if I remember correctly, and. The other one was the Terminator Two box set. Terminator Two box that. set. I've still got kept oh, that. It was fantastic that. box set. That. <laughs> I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't let that go. Even when I sold all the other laser discs, I had to keep that one. It was the first one I ever bought. First laser disc I ever bought was that box set because a, a guy showed it to me once at work at the time back in ninety three, four, ninety three, four, yeah. ninety four, and uh, I just saw it and thought, "That's it. I got to have laser display." Yeah, <laughs> so but the thing with laser disc as well, I mean, we keep going back to this, and it, but it was the first time you ever had commentary tracks mm-hmm. on stuff. It was the first time you ever had extras. And you know, a good example that is that aspect ratio was a big deal. Is as well. is that uh, T2 box set was that was a big uh, extras? I mean, all the extras that were on yeah. there were later ported over to the DVD version. Um, so that was a big appeal, and I can understand why we paid all that money because it because it was rare, because it was only available from a certain territory, and you had the the whole importing it. Uh, there was a little community that that surrounded that. I remember getting the. The old A4 folded in half catalogues from was it Laser Disc somewhere? I kind of re- Laser Enterprises is that right? Something like that. I mean, there was loads of these little companies that would send you the books out and it had all the lists of the latest Laser Discs and <laughs> where you could, they would import it for you so you weren't getting hit with a duty and so on. But don't <laughs> worry, with 4K Blu-ray, you'll get to do all this all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, will you? you know, yeah, I, I think I think it's all changed now. Minority nutter format. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you heard it here. Well, you didn't hear it here first. We've been banging on about it for a year. Yeah, but <laughs> you won't least. be nipping down your local local supermarket to buy them. Let's put it like that. But Mark, Mark B, was was there or is there anything like this in in the gaming world? I mean, I'm assuming that there will be a few people who would uh, certainly Nintendo wise that there'd be Japanese only stuff that people would try and get their hands on and that kind of thing. I mean, it, it was was it big in that that world? Uh, was it? Yes. Yes, it used to be very big, particularly, you know, back in the days when uh, we would get very poor um, PAL versions of games. Um, a lot of people have, have often said, you know, the, the Japanese packaging is better. Um, various ones with the, the kind of Japanese-centric uh, characters, something kind of strange things happen when they get translated to through kind of 
US firms, they they make characters just look a bit odd. You know, All they your often base all belong to us. Yeah, they, they <laughs> often they 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 usually take kind of various kind of slightly pacifistic characters and turn them strangely violent on covers. You know, the the US covers are usually very kind of crude and and slowly in Europe we've we kind of we're in between the two but you know we don't tend to get that many artistic games that i could imagine anyone from any other region would want to kind of import but with with games there's generally kind of a, a clear split between people who would like things like collector's editions which come with kind of extra trinkets and people who just generally don't care about cases you know i, I can't see there being much of a middle ground there you know the 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 point of a, a games case is it's such a, a kind of transitory thing. It's you know you don't have it for that long. Most people you know trade them in or you know don't bother with games for for any great period of time. Whereas something like a like a laser disc or a Blu-ray would be something that you'd want to go back to again and again. Mm. I mean, don't it, I? I I think that it was a lie. The whole concept was sort of alive up until I mean, certainly PS One era. There was still sufficient difference between some of the things happening in Japan, some of the things happening in Europe, that there was some crossover. And, I mean, I we, we bought one of those, I say we, the group of disparate lunatics I live with in my student house, we bought one of those black PlayStation 1s, those net Eurosy things that you could do your own programming on. Oh, yeah, yeah. You couldn't do anything with it. It was all utterly incomprehensible. But it was a black PlayStation 1. It looked very cool. So, But I, I don't recall doing much in that way, sort of anything after that. I mean, could, if you could, had to buy a house not- and stuff. Could you not just buy a PS1 and spray paint it black? I could, but it wouldn't have been the same, would it? No. <laughs> I'd have known. <laughs> I think there was a difference, though, when games used to come in uh, with, with certainly Nintendo games used to come in uh, cardboard packages. Then, should we say, if you kept something pristine then, it, it was a badge of honour. Um, you know, ever since it turned towards plastic cases, it just feels strangely throwaway. We just sound old. <laughs> we are. We are. We are. I appreciate yeah. that. But this, this, this is a world of just retentiveness. Well, I, 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 I think it's quite interesting before. to see how far we've moved along. Just, to, just in a, you know, from the nineties to where we are now, in terms of the quality that's available, in terms of what we can get in the UK now, in terms of cuts and, and all that. I mean, I'm struggling to think of any of the old video nasties that are still banned that are worth seeing that are still banned. Um, no. They've all had pristine DVD and Blu-ray releases. Uh, you've got uh, labels like um, uh, Arrow and Eureka and stuff that are doing really good uh, Blu-ray transfers and stuff. All those types of films, if that's what you're into. I mean, Mark used to be into a lot of the Japanese stuff as well, weren't you, movie-wise? Well, yeah. I mean, th- there's still a reason to import if you're into kind of Asian films. A lot of the the Hong Kong films, a lot of the kung fu flicks, you know, they've, they've never had... Um, either good release or they just haven't had any release on Blu-ray in, in the UK or, or in the West in general. So, you know, there's still a reason for importers out there. You don't have to go searching for a lot of this stuff now. And I guess that's the point that we're, we're coming to now where we're moving away from physical media, we're moving to streaming as well. And it, that, that, again, just opens up a huge Pandora's box of, of possible content that we could have coming into the home, Mark Hodge, Um you know, you're right into your streaming. You're right into watching the latest TV series that pop up on these streaming services and so on. I mean, it, you know, 
when was the last time you bought any physical media? Other, th- other than for the kids, I can't remember. We buy the kids Disney Blu-rays. That's the last time I can remember really buying them. But other than stuff for actually, you know, reference 3D discs and stuff yeah. for te- uh, reviews. No, I'm, but I do, on a similar vein, I can be put off by a, a dodgy user interface. So, you know, comparing, say, the Netflix user experience uh, interface to say the likes of Wacky, which looks really basic, it just puts me off instantly. So I, I, I don't go searching for the content like I would uh, on Netflix or a another or say Amazon Prime or something. Um, so presentation is still important, but it's, it's obviously it's not the the treasuring of a, of a physical thing anymore. Ironically, I have uh, I'm having this conversation. I'm being derogatory. I have just bought the most expensive CD I've ever bought. That was actually the last piece of physical media I purchased. What was but- it? Razor's greatest hits. <laughs> well, I haven't yet found uh, haven't yet found a copy that that just just meets my expectations. No, it was um, uh, a group. Well, uh, a, a sort of music collective. Um, Uncle, as in spelled yep, the man no, from Uncle. Yep. Uh, they did a three disc mix uh, for Japanese radio. This is already sounding unbelievably pretentious, isn't it? Um, uh, and essentially, there are there are two releases neither of which are especially common, but the first 500 weren't sold. They were given to to, 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 to the various great and the good. Um, and they have no barcode. Uh, and they are sufficiently rare, especially as the packaging is cardboard and relatively disposable. <laughs> so, yes, I spent some money on. On, on something Go where on. I don't... Go on, how much? Uh, actually, not as, too bad. As much whisk- as a coat? No, it was a whisker over 30 quid. Oh, oh, nice. That's nice. a mere a mere bank for, for three for three CDs and a cardboard wallet. I, I um, used to I used to pay that not that long ago for manic stuff because I used to get I used to go for the Japanese releases because uh, used to yeah. get more tracks and stuff, and I, I'd quite happily pay thirty forty quid for a double CD that was. But I think what's possibly different is that obviously I've bought this now and then I don't use CD anymore. They were ripped, um, <laughs> sit, put on the NAS drive. And the, the box has been squirreled away, never probably to be used or seen again. BC, this is until you this... one day find your son sticking it on his Fisher Price. Well, <laughs> it's sufficiently far away that I'm hoping that won't be a problem immediately. But yes, I'll have to keep an eye on that. But I guess, I mean, that just points to coming full circle, doesn't it, Ed? You know, we're talking about collecting stuff, about important stuff. Um, and now everything is based on a hard drive or a hard disk somewhere. Um, whether yeah. we're streaming that, whether it, you know we're ripping it ourselves and so on. That's just the way things is going. I guess we're, we're coming to as well is that the restrictions just aren't there in terms of the content that it used to be. I mean, you can you can unblock us, you can get other services where you can go and look at Netflix in different countries and so on, you can do other services as well. So actually getting your hand on the content, there's no real challenge in it anymore, is there, for the collector? I, I looked after I bought it, because I have to stress, it didn't matter to me, I wanted a physical copy of this CD. But I, I, it would have taken me about 10 minutes to torrent the same material to an un- an, a, a standard utterly indistinguishable from the rips that I've just done. Yeah. Um, and yes, when it comes to something, things are no longer rare because they're very hard to get hold of. Almost everything that can be transcribed to the internet has been transcribed to the internet. And whatever legal issues, if it's rare because of the... the um, physical release was so artificially restricted. I ethically, I don't, I don't feel that there's as much of an argument for for for, you know, seeking it out when the the, the scarcity is entirely enforced. Well, it's, I mean, um, it's, it's interesting that the copyright copyright laws changed. What was it, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago? That it's now legal to rip your 
as long as you own the CD, it's legal for you to rip it to your hand. Well, that's all right, right then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. This has been taking 30 years, isn't it? <laughs> I no longer live in fear of, of John Law. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it just it just points to where we're going. And like you say, if you want to find it, it's out there. Yeah, and, and, and I, I guess that, that's that, why the BBFC have become more tolerant over the years, is because they realise that, frankly, that it's like you know the, a tidal flood, and they can't stop it now. I mean, everything's available on the internet, so what's the point in uh, in the, the, know, cutting is, things in the UK? Well, there is that, but then John Farman, before he disappeared, he he definitely started to go down a more liberal um, yeah. way of of looking at films and certifying stuff, and and that sort of kicked things on. And then there was that film I can't remember the name of it now. What was the film that was basically a, a porn film, but it was it was um, concert footage and stuff in it? And oh, nine songs, nine songs, and uh, you get stuff like that that just completely changes the eighteen certificate. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, no, I mean, and it's it's they, they. I think that started when they changed the name from the British Board of Film Censorship to the British Board of Film Classification. Their, their role now is to classify things so people know what to expect without unless it contravenes the law. Um, so things like animal cruelty, for example, obviously would be cut. But unless it contravenes law, there's there's no reason for them to actually cut anything. You know, it's just you know that's an 18 certificate. And and, and what you found is I, mean, I don't know about you, but there's stuff now in a 15 certificate film that would have been banned yeah, and absolutely cut shocking. 20 years ago. I mean, the 1990s, I've, I've, you wouldn't have seen that kind of thing being being released. No, 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 watching yeah. The Walking Dead. I mean, the violence, the level of gore yeah. and violence in The Walking Dead is off the scale compared to what was being cut and banned in the 80s. Off the Game of Thrones has its moments as yes. well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you wouldn't get a movie with the kind of sex and violence in Game of Thrones because it would obviously be rated 18 or even NC-17 in the States and that would be you know commercial suicide. So yeah, some of the stuff you see now on um, Spartacus, for example, the, the TV series, that kind of stuff, I mean, it's really quite... Edgy, yeah. You know, we are reaching the point now where you know almost anything goes <laughs> as far as TV is concerned. So I guess this brings us full circle back to the original question, and not not really is it worth importing Blu-rays anymore, but is there any point to it anymore? Because you can more or less get the content you want in this country, so there's no really, unless it's a really super duper ultra rare. And you have to have the physical version, like like Ed had to have that physical version of the CD, even though you could have gotten it from a torrent. Um, apart from that, there's, there's... Well, unless you're a freak like me who like prefers American packaging for some reason, that's stupid. There's one example that I can think of where, and this is not so much we have, we don't have to import. This is in our favour for once. Disney have pretty much stopped releasing 3D Blu-rays in the states. So something like uh, Big Hero Six, for example, which is their new film, which you could have bought on disc in the states when it came out of the cinema in this country, because, you know, Disney have a habit of delaying releases for films to coincide them with school's holidays. And so Big Hero 6 was coming out in the UK a lot, a lot about three months after it came out in the States. So the disc came out at the same time in the States, but it wasn't 3D. So to get the 3D Blu-ray, you're going to have to wait for the UK release. And I'm sure there was millions of people. We... Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure I'm the only one that bothered about We've it. We've got the Blu-ray just... equivalent of VD. <laughs> Anyway, uh, just very quickly, what's coming at the cinema this Friday, Steve? We've got Insurgent, which is the second part of the Divergent series, uh, the young adult adaptation. Um, the first one was pretty poor, so I'm not expecting much from the second. Uh, we've got Wildcard, the latest uh, Jason Statham actioner, um, so you probably know what to expect there. And also we've got 
The Gunman, which is directed by the guy that made uh, directed Taken. It stars Sean Penn doing a bit of a Liam Neeson, going from you know serious actor to doing <laughs> some action. Let's hope he doesn't go the Liam Neeson path and do nothing but crap action movies for the rest of his career. But uh, yeah, Sean Penn's doing the, the action hero thing in the film The Gunman, which I, I've got to say looks quite good in the trailers and has a very interesting cast. So I'm actually probably going to go and see that at the cinema the weekend. Uh, Blu-rays released uh, next week, Steve. What can we look forward to? We have got, um, well, Paddington, which I believe Mark reviewed for us when it first came out at the cinema. Um, not seen that. And based upon what Mark said and what everybody else said, it was really good. So I'm looking forward to <laughs> actually reviewing excellent. it next and, week. And, I'm looking forward to reviewing it next week. <laughs> and, and Mark, you'll be avoiding buying this because you don't want to watch it 15 times one after No, I think we'll have to buy it. And I will have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't mind. Anyway, that's that next week. Also, Rollerball. Um, this is Arrow Films. Um, I love Rollerball. This is a 1975 um, James Carr movie where they basically use gladiatorial sports as a way of taking people's minds off our totalitarian state. Um, I think, to be honest, uh, very prescient for its time. I think um, a lot of what it, you know, in the things in the film have actually come to pass over the years. Um, and that's another cracking um, Blu-ray set by uh, by Arrow Films. And like you said, Phil, there's no if you're, if you're a film collector and you're into your movies, there is no better time than now for getting really top quality transfers of films with loads of really great extras. And that's another good example. The other film coming out next week, which I think Cass is going to be reviewing, is The Homesman, which is a Western um, written and directed and starring um, um, what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Jones or Tommy Lee Jones? Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> Not Tom Jones. <laughs> Written and directed by Tom Jones. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Singing Welshman in the in the Wild West. Actually, that sounds like a really good film. I wouldn't mind that at all. <laughs> Someone please make that. <laughs> and on that bombshell, that's all we've got time for for the AV Forums podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. With all due respect, the ambassadors for the Supreme Chancellor wish to board immediately. Mark Hodgkinson. I will come back and free you, Mom. I promise. Mark Butright. That is the sound of a thousand terrible things headed this way. And Dead Sally. I don't sense anything. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news and video. And why not leave us a rating on iTunes? I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. (laughs) 